0: From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. When someone has metastatic breast cancer, it's scary for them and for you. What can you do to really help? What should you say? Is it better to just listen? Today's guest received a de novo metastatic diagnosis in January of 2021 and then elected to retire early from a 30-year technology sales career in order to slow life down and focus on family, friends, and thriving with MBC. Carly Dixon's surprise diagnosis also inspired her to learn as much as possible about breast cancer and take every opportunity to educate friends and acquaintances about breast cancer prevention and the day-to-day reality. Today, Carly is here to shed some light on how to best support those who are living with metastatic breast cancer. Carly, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Adam. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to talk to you about this because I think it's so important for us to hear your perspective and just to know uh, know how to support and what to say and, and, and what not to say, really, too. So, uh, But let's start with you. Uh, can you start by sharing your breast cancer story with us?
1: Sure. So I had just had my 53rd birthday, and it was in December of 2020, and at that same time, busy trying to host holidays and things like that, um, I went for my annual mammogram. I was so happy to receive the pink envelope from the mammogram center that said, come back in a year. You have extremely dense breast tissue. We saw no abnormality come back in a year. So that was uh, right before the holidays. And throughout that fall of 2020, I'd had a lot of aches and pains. Um, I was pretty active for my age. And, you know, I found one day holding a plank in Pilates class, I just collapsed because I was in pain in my side. And I thought, well, let's get a massage. I'll go to the chiropractor. So I was doing all of these things and then in January of 2020, January 14th, so less than a month after my mammogram, I sneezed and I broke my back. Cancer had weakened my vertebrae to the point that just the force of that sneeze broke that particular vertebrae. My son was 19, home from college, and I was laying on my office floor and I was like, well, go get me a heating pad and bring me some ibuprofen. And, you know, I've got another conference call coming up, so let me just lay here and take it. And then, you know, cause he was wanting to get me to the ER, which did happen a few hours later. So in the ER after a number of CT scans and MRIs, I, the young doctor who I know was very well-meaning, but had really not learned a bedside manner, came in, my son was in the room and he said, You have metastatic disease throughout your skeleton and your liver. And it's not liver cancer and it's not bone cancer. But we don't know what kind of cancer it is. And my 19-year-old is in the room and we're both having a kind of a freak out moment. I was like, wait a minute. Did you say I have cancer? And he said, yes and we're just starting the investigation. We're gonna do our best to make you very comfortable." And I I was shell-shocked. I mean, and and that is such a light way to say it. Mm -hmm. So I immediately had surgery to fix the vertebrae, but um, we had counted 33 bones that had shown cancer in my body. So it was very extensive, had a few days in the hospital, of course. And then, um, all the investigation and we found out it was breast cancer.
0: Hmm. Wow.
1: So I had never missed a mammogram. Doctor said I had had breast cancer between two and five years prior to my diagnosis. So my cancer wasn't just so aggressive that in fewer than 30 days, it spread throughout my body. It had just been missed with imaging. And the interesting thing is I do have a family history of breast cancer on my father's side. That had been on my chart for 20 years. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of, there was a hypothesis that genetic breast cancer could not pass from the paternal side. It was only passed from the mother um, back 20 years ago. Hmm. Uh, So anyway, I had been doing self exams in the shower. I wasn't great about it, but I was doing them monthly or maybe every quarter and I'd never felt anything. And when we found that first breast cancer, The doctor was telling me where it was, you know, and trying to show me. I was like, I've been doing my self-exams. I haven't felt it. And he said, lie down and put your hand behind your head. And when I did that, it was plain as day. Hmm. And, you know, we don't do a good job of educating people exactly how to do breast self-exams. They can't just be done standing up. Um, so that is my diagnosis story. I am happy to report I'm doing very well. Um, I have responded great to treatment.
0: That's great. I love that. I love that. So, uh, so I understand you're part of Komen's NBC Steering Committee, and you're a strong advocate for the NBC community. Uh, what made you decide to do that and, and get involved?
1: Well, I was in sales for thirty years, and Probably everyone who knows me would say I have a big mouth and a a loud mouth. And really, after I got through the shock and I began consuming everything I could about breast cancer and cancer in general, I thought, this is how I can really make a difference, is I can become involved in the breast cancer community. And I can advocate that women ensure they're getting the right screening and they know how to self screen.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that was, and I had I had participated many years in Komen's Breast Cancer Walks and they're headquartered in Dallas, Texas. I live in Dallas, Texas. They were a household name to me, if you will. And when I saw all the resources that they made available to breast cancer patients of all ages, it was then that I decided they've got the fattest wallet. And even if I just get a share of that wallet, that share's bigger than most other organizations could provide. Yep. And so that's why I decided to align with the Komen Foundation.
0: Hmm. I love that. I love that. So, so since being diagnosed, you know, I know you've heard a range of things of people who just have no idea what to say to someone living with metastatic breast cancer. So, so I wonder if, if you can tell us a little bit about that, um, why getting it right is important, and how it can impact another person that's going through the breast cancer experience
1: right um i think even many early stage breast cancer patients don't really understand that metastatic breast cancer is stage four breast cancer means that it's spread to distant organs in the body so if breast cancer patients don't know that of course so many people in the general public don't even really know what it is or the prognosis or what treatment looks like it's not incredibly important to get it right. Frankly, I have learned that people who reach out do it with the best intentions. People don't reach out to say something that might trigger me or upset me. People are reaching out because they care, but some of the things can be very hurtful.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So so let's, let's talk through a few specifics if you don't mind. So like, let, you know, maybe some examples of like, say this, instead of saying that. So for for example, um, I know in the MBC community that uh, you don't prefer to be called survivors, you prefer to be called thrivers. Um, you, know, get, get, you know, walk us through that, and then maybe walk us through a few other examples, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, so the thriver community is, uh, and I think there may be There's probably metastatic breast cancer patients who don't like that word either, but everyone with this diagnosis has faced the cruel reality that you're not going to survive it. At least no one has yet. I'd like to be the first. And I know there are more than 200,000 other women living in the U S that would like to be the first too. but the science says we're not going to survive it. But Finding a way to have a full and fulfilling life is thriving. That's the definition of thriving. Yeah. And maybe it's not cl- climbing a mountain, but you know, it's taking your dogs on a 30 minute walk. Hmm. And so thriving is in my opinion, doing what you can do, in a way that you're still comfortable and it's not causing any pain and puts a smile on your face
0: I love that I love that I, I wonder you know, can you give us some other examples of like you know maybe don't say this, maybe instead say this or or even right. or even some examples of like i mean just just what to do, what to say, when to call i mean just something because I right. think it's, it's such a it's such a big thing that so many of us are fully unfamiliar with. That's right. Um, and we just and don't, don't just have any concept of how to approach it. So it's so just kind of walk us through a little bit of that, if you don't mind.
1: To set the stage on this stage for breast cancer looks a lot different than early stage breast cancer, early stage breast cancer. There's usually going to be surgery. Very commonly there will be chemo IV chemo where you lose your hair, you lose a lot of weight, you take on a gray color. And um, I think what gets those patients through is that they know it's temporary. Hmm. Um, Metastatic breast cancer, we still have that. We have members of our community who, because of their cancer, require IV chemo, losing their hair and all of that. But there's a large number of people in the breast cancer community who are taking a new generation of breast cancer drugs that really focus on slowing and trying to control cancer growth while delivering quality of life to the patient. Mm. So with that as the backdrop here, one of my favorites is, oh, you look great. And instead of saying that, I wish they would say, oh, you look really nice today. You look really good today. How are you feeling? Mm. Because if you're going to see me out and about, in all likelihood, I'm going to make a little bit of effort. So I hope I always look a little better than I feel. (laughs) Um, But that's one where so many people in this community, and I understand this, feel like that minimizes mm. our day-to-day struggle.
0: Mm. Um mm.
1: so, so that's one. Um, another one, when do you finish treatment? Well, mm. again, back to that cruel reality, we never finish treatment. Yeah. Early stage cancer patients in chemo clinics around the world ring the bell after their last chemo treatment. We'll never have a last one. Right. No bell for us. So asking when you're going to finish treatment is, it's a, it's kind of a knife in the heart, Mm. but instead saying, how are you doing on treatment? Mm. How are you tolerating treatment? That's different than saying, when do you finish? Yeah. And, Again, I don't think people say this with, you know, meanness in their heart. They just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Another great example is like, oh, you got diagnosed with breast cancer. My aunt just died of breast cancer. So trigger warning, let's try not to talk about people dying of breast cancer in the first six months of someone's diagnosis, at least. I mean, even Suzanne Summers dying a few weeks back, she died of metastatic breast cancer. It is just a constant reality of what is further down the road for these patients.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's hearing you talk too. It sounds like, um, well, I, I guess hearing you talk and hearing other guests on the show talk, it sounds like a lot of times what I'm hearing is that you want to be seen as a person first not as a patient first. Is that, is that a fair statement? Um, is that, is that kind of how you see it?
1: Uh, of course I, of course I see it that way. And I want to be viewed like that by my medical team too. I want yeah. them to know that, you know, their efforts can put that smile on my face, can yeah. give me a weekend getaway, can do the things that you really want when you dream of retiring all the things you think you want to do and just getting, maybe you just get some slivers, but yeah, being viewed as a person and a person who enjoys these things and isn't just running back and forth to get another IV is, is important.
0: Yeah. And I feel like if that's our, if that's, uh, you know, and I say ours and the supportive community around you, right. I feel like if our perspective is to, to always try to see you as, as Carly first, then it changes the way we, we ask questions or it changes the, you know, that, that's where we say, Oh, you look, you look nice. You know, like that's seeing you for you versus the, the other option, right. Um, being surprised by it almost. And so right. that's, that, so I, th- I feel like just that shift in perspective might help us um, to phrase things in, in a, in a, a better way to, to be more supportive, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and Adam, there's one more thing that I would encourage. Again, especially within the first six months, your friend, acquaintance, family member who has received this diagnosis, they need 100% confidence in the treatment plan that they've selected, whether that be a conventional treatment plan or you know, maybe Eastern medicine or a more holistic approach to the disease. It is the amount of unsolicited medical advice that cancer patients get is overwhelming. And so I have asked my friends and some of the information has been great that they've sent me and I say, well, when it comes time, when my cancer outsmarts what I'm on now, I'm going to look into this. But I think it's very important for people who believe in alternative therapies or only in conventional medicine, ask the person who has the diagnosis, would you like to learn more about this? Mm. Yeah. Because the unsolicited medical advice makes you feel like, well, maybe I'm not doing everything right.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe
1: may, maybe I should change things. And then I'll I'll think through it. And I'm like, well, why would I do that? I had a stable scan earlier yeah. this, you know, a few months ago. Why would I change now? So I think it's important to ask permission mm-hmm. to share that your opinions and that advice and Mm. you know in reality that goes for things outside of cancer
0: when someone's (laughs) sick yeah
1: if you don't have an md like ask before you offer
0: it kind of reminded me of uh people that like to to share parenting advice you know and uh everybody's got an opinion and um uh yeah that's right I'll, i'll leave it at that right so we've all we've all been there so. So I'm curious for our audience that has NBC, uh, do you have any tips on how to speak up or even if they should speak up when someone says something that's not particularly helpful?
1: Well, I I do think that's personal choice. My approach is on the, if, if I didn't know, I'd never know. You look great to something like that is, thank you so much for the confidence. It really means so much to me because I haven't been feeling well. Hmm. Or I usually, I'm very upfront, so I will generally say my piece at the time. I know others who will just kind of alienate that person from their lives. Mm. Say so they upset me every time she comes over. She upsets me. I I just don't want to spend time with her anymore. Yeah. Um. So, I think what I think whatever the patient feels, you as an NBC patient, you absolutely have the right to speak up. Mm. Yeah. If that's not your personality, there are many other ways to address it. Alienating yeah. people is probably not the best advice. Yeah. But I think it's other other ways to address it are potentially keep a block um, that your friends can read and they can keep up to how you're really doing and really feeling. So they're not coming in cold.
0: Mm. Yep.
1: When people say, how are you? Tell them. Well, you know, I barfed all morning, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Hmm. Or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, Of course, there's people in everyone's lives that don't get the hint. Um, And the hint may be, I don't want to talk about it at all. I'm out trying to enjoy a nice dinner. I don't want to talk about this. Hmm. Um, Or it may be, carrying a blue barf bag with you everywhere you go and letting them see this. Oh, sorry about that. That's my barf bag. So they understand that what they see on the outside may be completely different than what's going on on the inside. I think for the NBC patients, whatever it takes for you to maintain your mental health, that's what you need to do. Because the mind plays so important in living with this diagnosis, your frame of mind, your attitude, uh, the way you engage with others. Be true to yourself. And people, they may not get it the first time. They may not get it the second time. But people generally are going to catch on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, And it also occurs to me, too. And just from conversations I've had in the past that like preemptively setting ground rules up front uh, can really be very helpful for people. Uh, Even if that's like an email that you just pre-type out and say like, hey, before we meet for coffee, here's a few things you need to know. You know, (laughs) like, yeah. And
1: and I have talked to some people who said, you know, I have the three don'ts and three do's.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: And these are the three don'ts that I don't want you to do around me. And these are the three do's that I want you to do for me. Yep. Because people, people do, especially early in a diagnosis, they want to help. And I also learned when someone says, Hey, I'm running to the grocery store. Can I pick something up for you? I don't care what it is. Say yes.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. One
1: thing. Yeah. Because then they'll ask again. Yeah. But if you say no too many times, People are going to forget that yeah. you do need help.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so so you mentioned, you know, people supporting. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, how else can people support and care for somebody that's undergoing treatment for breast cancer?
1: Well, there's so much that people need. A treatment can really knock people down for days at a time. Um, people with families at home, They need a meal, even if you just door dash it. But to take the burden of cooking a meal for your family when you feel so bad, that's really key. Mm -hmm. Um, People, I have a friend who every time she comes over, she says, all right, let's do a light bulb inspection because I don't want you on a ladder. Let's go see what light bulbs need to be changed. I'll change them all for you. I never dreamed that that would be like something I would talk about on a podcast, but it is so helpful. And, um, so people need rides to treatment. Almost everybody can drive themselves there or a lot of people can, but a fewer number of those who could drive themselves there could drive themselves home, Hmm. go with them to treatment. If they have doctor appointments, Go with them Um, because it's kind of a lonely place and you're there and you're wearing the wristband. So everybody in there knows you're the cancer patient. Right. And it's just good to have somebody, it's just that moral support with you. Um, When you go to doctor appointments that not, maybe not every doctor appointment, but ones that you know are going to be difficult Hmm. or uh, a treatment that you know is going to be tough for you, you know, don't close people out. And you may rely on one person for that. You know, maybe it's your spouse or your sister or your best friend or your mother. And that's great. Um, But if you have a group of friends who is offering, I would recommend, you know, kind of spread it out. Let different people go because then those people will have more of an idea of a day in the life. And they can also help share your message.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. That's great advice. Um, well, Carly, this has been you know, fantastic. Um, I really appreciate you giving us your perspective and, and just helping us to better understand how we can support you and, and, and so many others in the NBC community. Um, do you have any final words of wisdom or final advice that you'd like to leave with our listeners.
1: If, if you have a friend or family member and you're really struggling, what do I say? Ask. Mm. Doesn't take long for us to know what really lifts our spirits. And so if you don't know, ask, I think about all the times before my diagnosis and even things, um, friends who have a death in the family, Mm. you don't know what to say. I think it's perfectly fine for someone to say, you know, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. Yeah. And, you know, share with me what you'd like to. I'm I'm here. I'm listening. Mm. That is, that's a fallback that I don't think will ever, you know, set you on the wrong course. That's
0: right. That's right. That's great advice. Uh, well, Carla, again, thank you so much for your time today. Um, and just thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today.
1: Well, thank you, Adam. I appreciate having the opportunity to represent, you know, this thriving community.
0: Thanks for listening to real pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.coman.org, And for more on breast cancer, visit Komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.